Welcome to the Future of Agriculture podcast, the show that explores the people, companies, and ideas that are shaping the future of agribusiness. Innovation, resourcefulness, and collaboration are essential for feeding a growing population, and we believe the agriculture industry is up for the challenge. Please welcome your host, Tim Hammerich. How's it going? Thank you for downloading this episode of the Future of Agriculture podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome. My name is Tim Hamrich. I'm an agribusiness recruiter, and it's my pleasure to bring you these stories every week of the people, companies, and ideas shaping the future of agriculture. This show is a proud part of the Farm and Rural Ag Network, so if ag podcasts and vlogs and blogs are your thing, head over to farmruralag.com and check those out. Well, here we are at the last episode, episode 12, in a series called Sustainability at Scale. Well, it's actually episode 110, but it's been a 12-episode series. You get the idea. Uh, We have had just a really interesting uh, journey to talk through everything from biochar to microbes to intercropping to nutrient management uh, to food waste to organic agriculture, and then last week into regenerative agriculture. Uh, Last week, if you didn't catch that episode, that's a great place to start before even listening to this one because... We get to understand some of the principles behind what is meant by the term regenerative agriculture. And central to regenerative agriculture is this idea that we can, uh, in agriculture, through production agriculture, we can sequester carbon. So we can remove carbon-based gases from the atmosphere and deposit them as organic matter in the soil in the form of carbon. Well, that leads right into our episode here today. We're going to look at a very interesting possibility, which is uh, creating a marketplace for carbon. So if you are, let's say, a regenerative farmer like Dell and Graham last week, you could perhaps be rewarded by selling credits for the carbon that you're sequestering. Now, you may have heard of carbon trading or carbon economics in the past. You've probably heard of cap and trade, which we'll get into uh, here. But there actually is right now today a demand for people wanting to buy carbon credits. And you might ask, why? Why would anyone want to buy these carbon credits? And uh, a lot of times it's uh, they have made the pledge to be carbon neutral and their processes, maybe they're an airline that emits carbon or they're an event where, you know, thousands of people come from all around the world. There's n- inherently going to be carbon emitted uh, greenhouse gases, I should say, emitted into the atmosphere, and they want to offset those somehow. So they're willing to pay a farmer, let's say, to prove to them that they are sequestering carbon into the soil to offset those greenhouse gas emissions. So that creates an interesting question. How can a farmer prove that they are actually offsetting those emissions? And that's where things get hairy. And that's where our guest today steps in. We have on the show Alden Donnelly, and she is the director of carbon economics for a new startup called Nori. If you enjoyed our blockchain series earlier this year, you're going to love this episode because Nori is a blockchain-enabled platform that allows people to trace where carbon gets sequestered, ensure that one carbon credit actually does equal carbon that is sequestered and uh, creates some trust and transparency and lower transaction costs in the carbon marketplace. 
if that kind of blew your mind a little bit, this episode is really going to blow your mind. I really enjoyed this interview. I know you will too. Here is my interview with Alden Donnelly and where we pick up on this episode, because we're going to just launch you right in here. Uh, she had just explained to me that most scientists believe that 350 parts per million greenhouse gases in the atmosphere is an acceptable threshold. Well, today as it stands, we're somewhere between 400 and 410, and we add somewhere between two and nine parts per million every year. So if we're going to get back to that under that threshold of 350, we better start sequestering some carbon. And she believes regenerative agriculture is the best way to do that. And she is on a mission to reward those who sequester carbon with these blockchain-backed carbon credit certificates through her platform, Nori. Anyway, I'll let her take it from here. Here is my interview with Alden Donnelly, and she is going to further elaborate on how we get down from 410 and growing to 350 parts per million greenhouse gases in the atmosphere. Enjoy. <music> in a carbon language to get from say 410 back to 350 we'd have to remove 128 to 130 billion tons of carbon from the atmosphere and store it somewhere store it in the soil store it in biomass like trees and plants store it in the built environment which are all things we can and, and can do if we were to um maximize using current estimates the capacity of existing crop lands around the globe to um, absorb carbon from the atmosphere to to and store it um, that means we could get that concentration back down to 350 in say uh, 25 years uh, 25 to 30 years which is actually a good target except we're still discharging a lot of carbon into the atmosphere. So I can only, we can only get it back down to 350 within 25 or 30 years, 350 parts per million within 25 or 30 years. If in fact, we also stopped releasing incremental carbon to the atmosphere, which is, pro is, is not a practical expectation. So all that to say that um, if we're serious about removing um, heat trapping gases from the atmosphere, uh, the potential role of um, crop and livestock growers and uh, forest land managers is very, very large, very, very important, but not enough to get the whole job done. Sure. Okay. And I know governments or regulatory bodies have said, all right, so we have industries that are obviously emitting a lot of these gases. Uh, we have other methods for maybe uh, sequestering carbon, so so pulling the gases out of the atmosphere. So what we're going to do is just kind of create a market here. And, and uh, a lot of people have heard of cap and trade. So we'll cap the amount of carbon emissions and uh, allow those that uh, produce less than their quota, their, their allowed amount, trade those credits to those who want to produce more. Is that an accurate representation of cap and trade? It's an accurate theoretical representation of cap and trade. Cap and trade did not come into being for greenhouse gas uh, gases. Uh, I've, I've uh, looked at uh, 44 cap and trade type regulations to address other pollution discharge uh, rates um, in the U.S. and Europe going back to 1978. And uh, while you accurately describe cap and trade in theory, not a single one of the precedents, and this includes the existing California market, actually operates that way. 
and that's a problem. Um, In theory, uh, large emitters are given a cap that declines over time so that they're reducing emissions, and if they emit less than their cap, they're they, they, in theory, would have the right to sell that extra um, reduction as a credit to somebody else who wants um, a certificate that allows them to discharge. The problem is that not just in California now in greenhouse gases, but in every cap and trade market that's ever existed, governments uh, set the caps quite a bit higher than the maximum physical capacity of the covered emitters to discharge pollutants and greenhouse gases. So in every market, many of the certificates that are being traded don't have what I call any underlying greenhouse gas reduction value. Hmm. So you get a lot of certificates trading and everybody says one certificate equals one ton CO2 reduced beyond my cap. But in fact, um, uh, it's pretty easy to show in arithmetic that the actual underlying greenhouse gas reduction value of a typical uh, California cap and trade market um, certificate right now is somewhere between zero and 0.25 or 25% of a ton. Wow. So, so it's because the cap itself is too high? Yes, the cap itself is too high. The, the state of California themselves, all of their data shows that they created and distributed way more certificates than was needed and every year so far and plan to do so through at least 2020. And their estimate is at the end of 2020, there will be still 290 million certificates outstanding just waiting to get used because they were surplus all along. When most people are buying uh, one of those certificates in, say, the California market for $15, they think it's costing $15 a ton to, to reduce a ton of CO2, reduce or remove from the atmosphere. But if the, underlying, if the certificate's really only worth 25% of a ton, they're actually paying $60 a ton. When you're in those markets, uh, projects that remove carbon from the atmosphere through regenerative practices in all of those markets generate certificates, the underlying value of which is very close to one ton. So right now in California, the problem you have is um, a farmer has to p- bear significant cost to generate one certificate and then trade it at par with a certificate that's only worth 25% of, of, of the farmer's certificate. Yeah. So if I'm understanding you correctly, uh, the the current model is good is good to keep the emissions under the cap, although number one, the cap is too high. And then number two, there isn't much incentive to sequester carbon in order to generate a certificate. Yeah, no, yeah. And and number three, if you're a farmer in any of those markets, your certificate is worth a lot of truly removed carbon. But you've got to compete in a market with certificates that aren't. So it's sort of like living in a world where you're being asked to trade your US dollar for a Japanese yen at par. The two things are not identical, but they're valued in the marketplace at the same value. That That's right. So the problem is... Um, I estimate, and with all sort of you know disclaimers that go with estimates that are that are created by people like me, I estimate in a world where if every certificate had the underlying quality of the certificates that crop and grazeland managers can produce, if the market value was truly between seventeen and thirty five dollars a ton CO two equivalent, mm-hmm. um, uh, 
U.S. farmers could offset, um, have the potential to, to offset with carbon removal certificates 100% of U.S. transport and power generation emissions, for example. Big, big number. Hmm. But right now, a certificate that costs $35 to generate looks too expensive because it's competing in a marketplace that's trading certificates for $15. But as I said before, that $15 certificate is only worth a quarter of a ton. So in fact, if you're looking at what the market's telling us, it's telling us that the actual price people are paying for real reductions is 60 bucks. And the only reason the 35 buck certificate that a farmer can produce doesn't look competitive is because the certificates have are, are, are not are not what they say they are on their face. That situation that you're describing, uh, a farmer would somehow have to prove that they are sequestering adequate amounts of carbon to, to um, in, in, did you say, would it be 1,000 tons? Is that a good metric to use? Sure, sure. Um, to, to, to get approval to sell 1,000 certificates into the California market or voluntary markets or the European markets today, a farmer has to go through a very arduous and strict process to prove that they actually stored and are keeping in storage a thousand tons of uh, incremental thousand tons of carbon in their soil and in, in their biomass. They have to compete with other emitters who have been given a whole bunch of free certificates that have have less than one ton of underlying value. So, so they can't, so they can't compete even though they're actually. In, in real life, the least cost and best by every possible measure solution. Okay. And I know w- one of the motivations behind Nori, um, the business that you helped found, uh, is is to try to cut away from some of this ineffectiveness when it comes to uh, actually making progress on, on sequestering carbon. Can, can you just explain at a real basic level how Nori works? Um, at, at the basic level, we first of all, we're using blockchain as a platform, so all of the other existing carbon markets use. We, we, we're blockchain is a, a, a way of describing what we call decentralized ledgers, where um, we use computer networks to store data in a lot of different places. And without going into it in detail, it, 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 it is much more efficient and less costly to store and track and verify dat- data that way. Um, the other thing is we are we are uh, preparing methodologies for um, estimating how much incremental carbon uh, uh, crop and livestock producers are storing by adopting regenerative practices. We're working with a number of entities, but mostly or or, or uh, right now Colorado State University, the um, and we're we're loving that that relationship to um, make the process uh, for estimating and verifying carbon storage much more transparent and also less costly. Right now in traditional markets, um, uh, if you are abiding by all the rules, uh, third parties, accountants, lawyers, and registries are eating up 40 to 60% of your revenues on your carbon certificate sales. And we are, we are, we're not completed our design yet, but um, we will be a fraction of that in terms of the overhead or transaction costs. But most importantly, going back to the theme I started on when I was talking about cap and trade, we are putting in a process that enables us to go back and audit, and we are going to guarantee that every certificate 
that is sold over our platform has an underlying value of one ton. Uh, therefore, projects that list on our platform and go to sell carbon removal certificates on our platform are on a unique platform and don't have to compete with those certificates that are worth a fraction of a ton. And hopefully that means uh, the price will go up faster on our platform because the certificate is whole. And we're ensuring to keep that commitment. So if errors are made in measurement and verification, and we find that in post-audit, then in our business model, we have to go out and buy more certificates to keep our commitment that any buyer of those certificates is really getting a ton of, of carbon removed from the atmosphere and stored in the soil. And now just a quick word from our Sustainability at Scale series sponsor, Marone Bio Innovations. Hey, ever heard of Marone's Bio with Bite? Marone Bio Innovations offers modern crop pest protection for the modern organic and conventional production systems. To make sure every grower using their products realize the best possible return on investment, Marone invests time and resources to thoroughly test and demonstrate the efficacy of those new state-of-the-art products. With serious trial data to back it up, you can see more and connect directly with Marone by visiting them at www.maronebio.com. That's M-A-R-R-O-N-E-B-I-O dot com. Thank you so much to Marone Bio Innovations for sponsoring this Sustainability at Scale series. Yeah, I think this is a really, really exciting application of blockchain. So you've got you've got a couple elements at play. Number one, you're lowering the transaction cost because when you know all of the data is um, sort of accessible by by all market participants, you know it, it seems like you can really reduce the amount of hands that need to uh, or processes this needs to go through to 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 validate. And then number two is you can trace back if I end up. Um, if I buy a carbon credit, I can trace it back to exactly where that carbon got sequestered and prove that it, it actually does equal one, one ton of carbon out of the atmosphere. I think, um, that's really, really interesting to me. Can, can you, for, for those of us who are not from a carbon trading background, who are the buyers of these certificates? Are these just, uh, are these your typical industrial polluters or, you know, in a world where Nori really takes off, who is driving the demand for these certificates? Uh, we, it, it's the, the wonderful thing about Nori is we're a bunch of partners who sometimes have different visions of the future. Hmm. But, um, but if it's uh, one of the ways to have a successful business plan is to execute strategies that, that look like they should be successful in all of those futures. So, um, if one of my other partners was here, probably he would say to you, and, uh, I'll give you a little background. Every cap and trade market, pollution market, including but not limited to greenhouse gas markets. So markets we used to remove ozone depleting substances, for example, to reduce the hole in the ozone layer. layer. Every one of those markets has crashed and burned within about seven years. It could be that we create the market that prevails when the um, cap and trade markets that are, that are, that are, sinking under the weight of all of their certificates, the certificates that don't have any underlying environmental value happens. And um, it's reasonable, it's not inevitable, but it's reasonable to forecast that the cap and trade markets that look like they're booming right now will crash and burn sometime between 20, 2020 and 2022. So um, I'd like the uh, conventional, this is me personally, uh, government and compliance models to 
see our model working just fine when the crash happens and have this be a model that governments might then think about embracing. I certainly have partners who have said, I give up on governments getting this right. We want to create a market that makes sense to um, companies like uh, McDonald's and others who have recently said they're going to offset all of their supply chain emissions. And uh, who cares if government gets it or, or, or not? Let's create a real private sector model that really works. We certainly in our travels have run into a lot of, and who's to say, you know, how much of this will convert into real buying power in our market. But we seem to be meeting a lot of very um, sophisticated, interested corporate and individual potential investors who are telling us they've wanted to um, buy credits to offset their emissions and reduce emissions in their food supply chains for a long time, but they haven't been able to make sense out of the conventional markets for a lot of reasons, including the underlying certificate value problem that I've spoken about already many times. It does look like that if we can create the transparent, efficient um, uh, market that they're looking for, they'll they'll come they'll come to the market as buyers. I, I could be proved dead wrong here, but I think it's going to be our challenge is going to be more uh, uh, getting farmers excited about adopting the regenerative practices and and offering uh, carbon removal credits for sale in our supply chain. I think that's going to be the harder part, harder than finding buyers to step up to buy them. Okay. Yeah. So that's really interesting because once once the underlying certificate has the value and you've sort of validated this this value on using your your platform, your blockchain technology, um, then you you get all these companies that say, yeah, we're looking for an easy way to offset all of our carbon emissions either through our social responsibility uh, pledge or you know in some cases I I and I don't. I don't remember the details, but I think there's probably events that happen in a town like where I live, Austin, um, where the city mandates that they somehow, you know, offset their their carbon emissions, and they need to go do that somewhere in a way that they can they can prove, you know, that that it's possible. In that case, they would go to Nori and say, "Hey, we need um, X number of certificates," and on the other side of Nori are essentially regenerative farmers that are somehow validating that they're sequestering carbon. Is that right? Yes, that's right. And and we think we're coming up with a validation, uh, using your words, methodology that is more efficient, less onerous, and also uh, more reliable and trustworthy in terms of the quantification. So um, it should be easier for the uh, landowners to work with us than with any other market. Um, and uh, the certificates in our market will be worth more to the farmers and that they will get more of the total price anybody's willing to pay because our transaction costs will be so much lower. Um, and again, because we are not going to have certificates on our market that have an underlying value less than a ton, if you're competing on our market, you're only competing with other guys who are, who are issuing certificates that equal a ton as well. And that's a fair market. Hmm, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, I, obviously this is an a- agricultural podcast, but, but aside from, landowners who are either, you know, using regenerative practices with their livestock and their crops, uh, is, are there other ways that a certificate could be generated and, and validated? Um, uh, there's uh, the, you know, the, the, the stuff that everybody talks about, you know, uh, see, like you said, see in, in uh, crop 
in croplands, uh, seed cover, multiple crop rotations, uh, minimum till. Um, rice uh, growers could use sensors to um, uh, reduce the amount of water they, they need to use in flooding the paddies that stores carbon. There's uh, a lot of things that uh, livestock producers can do on grazelands, including um, in student, including livestock rotations and, and the obvious things that we all know about uh, manure management, that sort of thing. The other thing is we are not focused exclusively. We are our, our priority is uh, is creating the platform for generating merchantable uh, carbon removal credits for food producers. But there are also other practices. There are things that people can do that it's it's called direct air capture, removing uh, carbon from the atmosphere and then storing it in minerals and in uh, materials uh, that can be used to uh, build buildings and that sort of thing. And they will be in our market as well. So we're pretty excited about that. Um, uh, I, I, my hope is that when we create a market that is transparent and where a ton is a ton is a ton, a whole bunch of ideas about how to do this will come up that's never that have never entered my head. Uh, that's a great way of putting it. I, I was just talking to somebody else on on, an, on another topic, but they said, "Look, you know, farmers are are innovative and, and ranchers are innovative. You tell them, you know, what you need, they they will find the best way." to get it done. And I think that's really key. It sounds like the work you're doing with Colorado State to determine, okay, what are the parameters for sequestering one ton, sequestering one ton of carbon into the soil and, and really outlining that. Uh, then it's, if I'm understanding correctly, a farmer would log their practices, their regenerative practices into Nori. Um, and, and based on some sort of calculation, Nori would know when a ton uh, of carbon has been sequestered and issue a certificate that they could sell uh, on your exchange? Yeah, they'll probably log in their practices, uh, their seeding dates, their harvesting dates, their uh, production data, their energy use. Um, uh, our commitment is all of their farm level data will be kept private and confidential. Uh, uh, and when they enter that data, uh, the team at Colorado State um, helps create what they call a project baseline, a dynamic project baseline and basically what we do is compare the amount of carbon that it's, it, it, we estimate you're storing in your soil to how much uh, carbon is in the store in the soil um, uh, using a network of reference sites that are either not being managed to produce food or are under intensive management practices. And so you get credit for the difference. And that's a dynamic baseline for generating the credit because um, uh, I'll, get, I'll give you an example. If you're farming on the Mississippi and there's a flood, if we were just comparing the carbon stock in your soil this year to what it was three years ago, then um, you're going to be losing carbon because of the flood. But if you've adopted regenerative practices and made the right choices, um, you will lose way less carbon than someone who has not adopted regenerative pra practices. And the baseline for de determining your, the credits you own 
is what your carbon stock would have been had you not adopted those practices. Mm. So in a flood year, you would be probably generating a lot of marketable uh, carbon credits. Do you need to know more about the practices? For example, you know, a, f- a farmer that makes an extra pass with a tractor over field is, is essentially emitting more CO2 than one that doesn't. Do you need to know that so you can kind of take the difference? There are different ways of doing that. If, if there, if a, and, and we're just trying to design our market. I think this is one of the easier things to succeed at is, um, for example, uh, a farmer will have a choice, which is either provide us that information, how many passes, how many times a year, or um, have the choice of putting some sensors in the ground and having the data come out of, of the equipment. So we're designing our system so that the, uh, the producers do not have to invest in new technologies and techniques for collecting the data that um, indicates how well the, how healthy the soil is. But they would get um, they, they get a higher grade credit from us if they do so. So we're not going to order anybody to do anything, but if they come up with other ways, um, easier ways to uh, produce information that tells us what's happening in the soil, they will get they will uh, get credit for doing that. This is really interesting stuff, and I know you're working with with uh, like you said, Colorado State and, and other partners to to really come up with you know what are the parameters to to make this happen. Has there been any estimate yet as far as on a per acre basis, um, you know how much a farmer might be able to add to their top line through through selling these certificates well if it's um uh and you know these numbers are can be all over the park um uh but if you're talking about a crop producer it can be anywhere from uh for anywhere from 20 to 50 years an incremental um in in uh co2 equivalents uh half a ton to as many as four tons an acre now, if we get carbon credits trading for $20 an acre, um, uh, an increase to your bottom line of $10 to uh, $20 an acre is real money. If you're uh, managing grasslands and pasture land and a livestock producer, the potential for gains per acre is probably larger. And if you're uh, in agroforestry, they're larger again. But uh, if you look at the average return before this conversation to um, croplands managers in the United States in the last few years, it's been forty-five to fifty dollars an acre. So if we can add ten to twenty of that, that's not a bad that's not a bad increment. If these exchanges were to go away, kind of like you're talking about, because they they just don't seem to they don't seem to last more than seven years or so. What is putting the downward pressure on prices other than other than increased effectiveness at sequestering carbon? That, that's a convoluted way to ask that question. Do you know what I'm getting at there? Yeah, I do. In, the, in all of the traditional markets, the downward price pressure on prices is because governments are, are printing um, uh, more certificates every year. Certificate, you know, again, those certificates with little to no underlying environmental value, mm-hmm. that, that backlog just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's what puts the downward pressure on price. When we get a real market going, the price should go up for quite a long time. In any normal market, the first entrants will be the ones who have come up with strategies to sequester more carbon less expensively, 
the market price should go up for quite a while as we get more and more volume into the pipeline and uh, innovation and the use of new technology, sensors, imaging, um, all sorts of different ways of testing soil health will evolve. And I can see the, the uh, cost of um, producing carbon credits going over time, but I don't see the market value or the price the market should be willing to pay going down over time. And maybe I'll give you one, a little example. In the United States now, um, pursuant to the, the most recent uh, U.S. federal budget, the U.S. taxpayers are subsidizing um, power generators, natural gas-fired power plants, to the tune of $50 a ton to work on developing technology to capture and then reroute and store emissions from those power plants. Now, when you um, successfully implement that technology, which is called carbon capture and storage, the goal is that the cost to the, pro to the utility will get down to $35 from a price that's right now anywhere between $70 and $140. So right now, the U.S. taxpayers are, are footing a bill of $50 a ton with the hope that over 20 years, that's going to get the price on top of the tax credit down to $35 a ton, so $85 in total. Now, 100% of that incremental cost to manage carbon is going to show up as a price increase in every American's electricity bills. I'm saying if alternatively you've funded U.S. farmers, growers to sequester carbon at a top price of $35 a ton, they can offset all of the U.S. transportation emissions and all of those gas plant emissions. So in a rational world, wouldn't you rather pay the farmers to become more sustainable and, produce and, and, and profitable food producers to offset those gas power plant emissions? Because the alternative is to pay more than twice as much and get your electricity bill hiked. Alden, what, what about uh, Nori's development now? At what stage are you in now? And uh, are, you, are you actively um, allowing this carbon trading to happen on the platform yet? Or, or what, what's the vision for that? As, as with many blockchain groups, we've been bootstrapping to date. Over the next two months, we will do some fundraising. We have been developing the platform. It's quite far along. We'll be in a fundraising phase in the, you know, sometime in the next two months. We could be proved wrong, but we, we're quite optimistic that, uh, that uh, they're interested investors. As a blockchain company, we are working with and uh, going and doing everything with uh, Securities and Exchange Commission approval. So we're avoiding issues around blockchain and, and, and all that stuff. And we are hoping the, the, the target is to launch the platform in, by December this year and to be trading uh, in January uh, 2019. And anybody who's a grower who wants to uh, talk to us and ask m more questions and decide whether or not they think they want to apply to list their project should uh, look us up on the net and phone us right away. And that's at nori.com? It's at www.nori.com. And we'd love to get uh, uh, CRCs in the pipeline. CRCs is what we do, carbon removal credits. Um, I, again, I could be proved wrong, but... I'm more worried about getting suppliers than buyers right 
Hey, hope you enjoyed that interview with Alden Donnelly of Nori. Definitely go check them out. I think it's exciting what they're going to do. If you remember one of our blockchain episodes with Alex Danko, where he said, look, you're going to see a ton of blockchain startups, but they have to, at their core, provide real value. And I think that's one thing exciting about Nori is there's real value. There is real demand for those carbon uh, certificates, those carbon credits among companies wanting to offset their own emissions. Cool stuff. If if there's a question I didn't ask Alden that you wish I would have, head over to speakpipe.com forward slash future of ag and uh, leave a message there. Introduce yourself. Leave a question. I'll try to get it uh, in front of Alden and get her answer so we can include it on a future follow up Friday. Well, that's our series on sustainability at scale. I hope that you got as much value out of these last 12 episodes as I did. It helped me not only frame up how we should be thinking about sustainability, but some potential avenues to explore when it comes to trying to make our industry uh, more sustainable in in every way, environmentally, economically, resource utilization wise, in in every direction. I think uh, it's important to consider all of these ideas as part of the future of agriculture. As always, we are agnostic when it comes to method on this show. We want to look at the facts and look at uh, the approaches as objectively as we possibly can, um, because the the future of agriculture is going to be a portfolio approach. It's not going to be an end-all, be-all, one-size-fits-all. And I, I think if you're listening to this show, you probably share that belief with me. Anyway, we are now wrapped up sustainability at scale. Here we go into our next series. Now, next week, we are going to have an interview uh, that I'm excited about about um, artificial intelligence and machine learning. And then we're going to roll right into our next series. And, And here it is. The series is called Accelerating Ag Tech. We're going to hear from 10 different startups in ag tech who have gone through various accelerator programs around the world. So you're going to get to know not only the ag tech startup, the stage of development, the customers they serve, the problems they solve, but also what it is like to go through their particular accelerator program. I'm excited about this because all accelerator programs are a little bit different, and I don't know that there's enough resources out there to help us understand Um, those differences and how we should look at them. So very excited about this. I hope you enjoyed Sustainability at Scale. If you did, head over to iTunes, leave us a rating and review. It's gotten easy to where all you have to do is hit the number of stars, but I would love a personalized comment from you just about what you do or do not like about this show. And tell a friend if you wouldn't mind. Accelerating Ag Tech is going to be another big series for us. I would love to get you and all of your ag-loving friends listening to this show. Hey, thanks so much. I really appreciate your time and attention and value it very much. Can't wait to be back next week with Jeremy Williams. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Future of Agriculture podcast with Tim Hammerich. Visit futureofag.com That's futureofagag.com today to get connected into careers in the agriculture industry. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week.